Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. Thanks so much for being here. Paris is, of course, one of the top touristic destinations in the world, but a lot of people miss one of its most evocative, moving destinations. I'm talking about the Cemetery of Père Lachaise, and to help me talk about why you should go there and perhaps what you should bring along with you is my next guest. She is Carolyn Campbell. She has a beautiful book called City of Immortals, Père Lachaise Cemetery, Paris. And she also has an app that can be a companion to, to you as you tour the cemetery. So thank you so much, Carolyn, for appearing on the Frommer Travel Show. It's my pleasure, Pauline. Glad to be here. Well, I'd love to start by quoting you. I want to read how you open the book, and then we'll let that push us into our conversation. You start by saying, imagine it's the year 1780 in Paris, and you're sitting down with family and friends to a modest meal. Things are bleak due to a series of poor harvests in the area, which has led to soaring bread prices and food riots. Though the times are stressful, France is a country where eating is a pleasure rather than just a means to give the body nourishment. So the group is grateful for what they have, including one another. Dinner is interrupted by a deafening roar as the neighboring cellar wall of the Cimetière des Innocents collapses, spilling an avalanche of 2,000 corpses into your apartment building. Wow, what a dramatic start to this tale. Why would somebody have their dinner interrupted by an avalanche of corpses? What was going on in 1780? Well, you can imagine the surprise. However, over over the centuries, war and the devastation of the plague had already filled the catacombs and church graveyards across Paris, the traditional burial places and the um, Cemetery to Innocence. The 18th century Parisian engineers had overlooked one significant question in their urban design scheme, what to do with the ever-increasing population of the dead. These uh, apartment residents and many other citizens complained to the new first consul, Napoleon Bonaparte. Bonaparte um, directed his engineers to solve the problem. Now, his uh, prefect of the Seine, Nicolas Frochot, was kind of directed to come up with a solution. Uh, yeah. Brochot proposed holding a competition to create new cemeteries on the outskirts of the city. This was the first ever commission of its kind, uh, was awarded to an architect and landscape designer, Alexander Theodore Brogniard. And this was really revolutionary, if you can imagine, when everyone is traditionally buried within the church or in the churchyard. Right. So people, quite frankly, weren't thrilled about the long trek to the countryside for burial or visitation. Plus, the bishops were not exactly thrilled with the idea of losing money. But Hmm. the church had no choice. They had run out of room. So wait, before we go any further, so they had to trek to the countryside because even though Père Lachaise is in the heart of Paris now, in those days, Paris was much smaller. And the church lost money. Why? Because people would 
pay to be buried in churchyards? Well, you know, the closer to God, (laughs) the proximity you paid. And now the churchyards, I mean, even today, there are churches where there are burial vaults within, underneath the altar or places like that. And this was very much the tradition in, you know, 18th century Paris. But again, the Ile de Cité, which was really the center of Paris, was um, very small in comparison to Père Lachaise, which is now in the far eastern section of the, or the 20th arrondissement. So right. it really, I mean, everyone was in their horse carriages and so forth. So it really was quite a trip to go out there. So this was the first Western cemetery not built in a churchyard. And in that way, it was very, very new. But it, to make it more palatable, I thought this was absolutely so surprising. They named it after Napoleon's confessor, right? That's why it's known as Père Lachaise. Exactly. Well, Frochot was had a keen sense of how to appeal to the masses um, by creating something really intriguing. So he convinced Napoleon of a plan to win over the critics and as well as the hesitant clientele by naming the cemetery after Father Lachaise. So it was a brilliant marketing ploy. Um, He also launched an inventive real estate promotion, filling the cemetery with sculptures and the remains of the famous and the infamous, including Moliere and La Fontaine. So he moved bodies exactly to to make this the place to be buried. That's just also mind-boggling. Well, I think the whole celebrity draw has never been different. It still exists over the ages, right? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's an interesting way to put it. Absolutely. So uh, they created this new cemetery because they were basically drowning in corpses. And the design of it, too, was revolutionary and has influenced cemeteries around the world. Beyond the fact that it wasn't next to a church, how was it different than traditional cemeteries up to that point? Well, the the 19th century architects, we really have to thank them from moving away from the Christian-dominated imagery of a cemetery as macabre and a sad place and a frightful Mm. place filled with dead bodies to a more pantheistic view of a cemetery that reflects a more peaceful concept of a a sweet rest. After all, the earliest interpretation of the word cemetière was a place where one sleeps. So interesting. Yeah. um, And and a lot of these, um, this big, Père Lachaise became the model for 18th and 19th century cemeteries across the world. There are, um, I think one of the most famous is Mount Auburn in Cambridge. Massachusetts Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C. And if you look, they're beautiful, rolling hills, landscapes, trees, um, gardens. So it was really a radical departure from a rather dour environment that was, you know, in the the basic churchyard. So the, I mean, again, this was the height of um, the pre-romantic celebration of the divinity in nature. So this hmm. was quite a departure. And again, Brogeniard, who was a student of Etienne Louis Boulet, he, Boulet um, really felt that, um, that the commission to build a tomb was a very high um, honor for an hmm. architect. Um, as you can imagine, visitors to the cemetery will find it's really like an outdoor museum of architecture and sculpture. 
Yeah. Well, and I think it's it's notable that Père Lachaise was created right at the start of the golden era of French art. And so it it contains uh, the, the remains of Delacroix and Poulenc and a lot of other, you know, major name artists who the architects who built the tombs for them yes. really wanted to do well by, right? Well, there you can imagine the competition because the wealthier <laughs> the family, the bigger the huh. monument. And this sure. was the time to not only commission a leading architect, but also a leading sculptor, um, David Danger, um, who has works that are on the Arc de Triomphe, um, mm. was, I think he has 56 examples of his sculptures throughout the cemetery. So wow. it becomes, um, this is one of the reasons why I became so enthralled being a big um, fan of architecture myself, that when I was walking through the cemetery, it would have taken me hours to experience all the different examples of Romanesque and Renaissance uh, sculptures and architecture walking through Paris, where I have it all there within the cemetery. Huh. Well, that's a wonderful way to, to look at it. And so you have not only this beautiful book, which is filled with glorious photographs and really, really interesting text, as you heard, because I read some of it, but you also have a, a, an, a tour app, correct? How does that work uh, for people who want to visit Père Lachaise? Well, interestingly enough, Pauline, prior to the book, I had designed a fold-out map, which is included in the book, because right. it, it's 107 acres. It's a literal labyrinth. And if you have limited time when you're visiting, and say you want to find Delacroix or Chopin or Jim Morrison of the Doors, where sure. do we start? Um, and the maps that are given out by at the administrative office are they're very handy, but they're not very precise. And huh. so my hand-drawn map targeted the, the remains of 84 different artists, writers, musicians, and sculptors, my kind of people, right? <laughs> um, but then um, some people recommended to me, you know, you might want to explore the tech world. And this opened up an entire new adventure for me. I met with a company and I learned to build an app. And so I applied oh. all of my photography and my text into this format. And over time, I developed not only um, in English, but also in French. And I've just launched the audio version because some people recommended that instead of just holding it in your hand and having to read it, better to have your ear pods in and just listen to me um, guide you yeah. through the paths, which again, the, I, I did work with you know several colleagues to get the exact satellite coordinates for each tomb. However, yeah. because it's um, a canopy of trees, there's like 5,000 trees <laughs> in the cemetery and tall monuments, sometimes the satellite feed can be interrupted. So I have a little orange trail that is also on the map. So if you rather on the app, so if you look at it visually, if you get a little lost, you can just follow right. the little blue dot of you on the right. app will lead you from tomb to tomb. So isn't that amazing? So is there just one way on the app to go through or do you allow people to customize it or is, the, is that well, too complex? No, I've given three options. Um, the, the oldest part of the cemetery, which is the original 16 acres, is called the Romantic section. And there you will find some of the earliest graves, Heloise and Abelard, Chopin, 
um, oh my gosh, who was there? At Polank. And before we leave Heloise and Avalard, I didn't realize till you, I read your book, I always thought of them as Romeo and Juliet because they're great romantic figures. But she was 16, he was 40. Yes. <laughs> yes. And he paid a dear price <laughs> for that romantic relationship. However, well, so did she. She yeah. ended up at a nunnery, right? Exactly. But again, it, a wonderful romantic story. And as it turns out in further research, they continued corresponding years mm. after they were separated. And those letters um, reflect some very rare historic documentation of the era that huh. hadn't uh, existed, especially from this wonderful, heartfelt exchange that these two had. But uh, again, it's a, it's a marvelous monument. There um, are their figures with this lovely figure. And one of the other things, not only the sculpture and architecture, but the symbolism that are on graves. And there is hmm. a small dog at their feet, yes. which symbolizes fidelity. So I've also pointed out um, in depth in the book, but a little bit in the app of what you're seeing, um, an open book on some tombs um, or a closed book means a life um, well spent. A column that is cut in half is a life that it was ended too soon. Um, The flowers. So both open and closed books mean a life well spent? Yes. Ah, interesting. Huh. No, the and clothes. the flowers. Tell us about the flowers. Well, there is um, many symbols. Say the um, the pansy, which in French the pensee means um, to uh, to think of one another. Huh. So you'll see uh-huh. that the the pansy is a, a symbol that is throughout the cemetery. There's um, the palm frond is another one for loyalty. Um, hmm. There's many one, the winged hourglass uh, that you'll see is uh, on many tombs. Um, as a matter of fact, the main gates of Père Lachaise have the winged hourglass symbolizing the passing of time. Ah. So there are many, um, you know, classic funerary symbols of the torch representing life's flame. And I mean, and early visitors would have known these symbols. They would have been able to read the cemetery in a way that we can't, but we can thanks to you, right? Well, exactly. There, I mean, I think that it's regrettable that the 19th century, even the height of this romantic um, illustration of, of love and memory, faded away as we moved into the 20th century. And we hmm. certainly, the artisans of the day, um, it was quite expensive to commission those, but nowadays you get a very simplified, straightforward crypt or something like that. I think that um, you'll find in um, Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, they have beautiful examples of these um, different kinds of the iconography that you'll find personifying yeah. the afterlife. And it's a truly romantic experience and one that you know I really stress to visitors to almost... I, I, my next... We'll see if I get to time to it in my life. Is to make a little uh, coloring book or a little checkbook for children as they're going mm. through to identify the different symbols. There are many. Well, Perlishes is the largest public park space in the city, so huh. um, the you know many families go there. It's not only a place to visit a family member or maybe a celebrity gravesite, but a beautiful place to stroll. Um, yeah. In, oh, absolutely. In, and unlike much of the rest of Paris, which right now is being inundated with visitors, it's it's overcrowded. I've never felt 
crowded in Père Lachaise. There's always corners where you feel absolutely alone. Well, I've found those little corners myself <laughs> when I like <laughs> to have it, especially when I'm, you know, taking photographs. And I want to have that kind of bucolic feeling of just the landscape and the beautiful right. um, sculptures and architecture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful book and app, and you bring that important part of Paris alive. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for appearing on the Farmer Travel Show. Oh, my pleasure, Pauline. Our next guest is Nicole Smith. She is the founder and CEO of Flytographer. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. Thanks so much for having me. So I know your business has been around for a long time, but just in case people haven't heard about it, what is Flytographer? Flytographer is a vacation photography marketplace where you can look for, book, and find a local vacation photographer in hundreds of cities worldwide so you can capture the magic of your vacation. Okay, you can capture the magic of your vacation, but not every minute of your vacation. This isn't somebody who's going to follow you from place to place, or will some photographers do that? No, our our photographer model is you can take one hour out of your precious vacation and capture some incredible memories with a local walking the streets. We have predefined routes, so like if you're going to Rome, you can choose from one of our predefined routes, or if there's a special place you want to meet, you can go there too. But usually it's about 30 minutes to an hour, hour and a half. Choose your time and you get not only incredible photos, but the local photographer is going to share some great tips about the city at the same time. Well, you know, the reason I wanted to have you on was I was looking at Airbnb experiences and suddenly every other experience seemed to be a photo shoot. This seems now to be the most popular new vacation activity. But when you go to a site like Airbnb Experiences, I don't know, do you get good value there? Or uh, do you go to a site like Flytographer that only does this? And what's the difference between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that want to capture memories on vacation because usually there's someone that's capturing it and missing from the photos or it's a, you know, it's a blurry selfie, et cetera. With Airbnb, I think a lot of times it's group excursions too. So you're going to be with other folks. So if that's more something that you're looking for, then that, that, that's something you can book there. With Flightographer, it's all private. So you're choosing the location, you're choosing the photographer, the time, the date, everything. And it's just going to be you or you and your family. And we highly vet everyone. So you can't just um, apply and, and put, you know, your, your profile up. We, we interview everybody. We only hire about 3% of the photographers that apply. And what we look for huh? is not just that they're a great professional photographer, but they truly love to host people around their hometown and they're proud of their city and they're going to share their favorite parts and tips of the city. So we look for, um, for, for those qualities when we hire. Well, how do you do that? I mean, uh, I would assume, do you, do you have a minimum requirement for how long a photographer has been doing this profession? And then do you interview them? I mean, how do you find the people who not only can 
snap a good photo, uh, but also can make people feel welcome in a foreign destination. Well, we've gotten better at this over, we've been in business for 10 years now. So in the beginning, we were kind of, you know, learning a lot, but uh, we have a pretty fine-tuned process now. And we have um, recruiters on our team and we require photographers to have a minimum of two years professional experience. They look at their their online gallery. Most of them are like full-time wedding photographers or other types of photographers. And they do this on the side. Um, you know, so what's great is they can expand their portfolio and meet people on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday evening, and they're great storytellers. And so we look for those qualities. We have a, an interview with everyone. We examine their portfolios, and we really tightly manage the whole process, even once they're onboarded, to make sure the quality is there. And you know, we have over twenty-five thousand five stars, five star reviews over the years. So wow. it's been working. Okay. Well, now we know about the photographers. I am curious to hear about your customers. Uh, Mm -hmm. To me, I got to be honest with you. I have somewhat mixed feelings about this being a major vacation activity because I feel like the activity of travel is about looking out and seeing the world and Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe that, maybe it's because I just don't want to dress up when I travel. I, 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 I don't want the focus to be on me. Um, what am I missing? Is this something that mostly honeymooners do or, I, I don't know, corporate travelers? Who does this? You know, it's, it's interesting is that our largest audience is moms. So 40% of our wow. bookings are families and it's mostly the mom. It's the person who's never in the photos, but is always the one chronicling the memories. And I think one of the things, and this is what, this is coming from our customers mostly, is yes, you know, you go to this great vacation and you want to come back with a a photo that tells the story that you can relive and go back to that includes the people that matter and that third character that, you know, the city, whether it's Paris or Marrakesh in the backdrop. But what our customers have told us over the years was one of the most delightful surprises of the shoot was when they got to rub elbows with the local. No, they want to see how others live. And so that hour they're walking around Rome with Guido or Leo in Paris, they're chatting and they're learning about each other and they're sharing tips about, you know, what they recommend for them to do for the rest of the trip. So it's really authentic. It's not a scripted tour. It's just from the heart. And I think that's what, uh, you know, most of our customers that are repeats love to do. They they love to book photographer when they travel because they know they'll get the memories. They'll also hang out with a really cool local for an hour. Huh. And you said it's it's a lot of families. I know from my own family photos, uh, when my kids were younger, it was near impossible to get a photo where everybody was looking in the same direction mm-hmm. and had the same kind of emotion on their face. If everybody was smiling, one of us would be grimacing. Mm-hmm. How do the photographers make sure that in this foreign destination, they get the kids to play along? Yeah, they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. I mean, they've been doing this for years and you get you get you get savvy in the end. So now I can't give all the tricks away, but I can tell you that sometimes there's little stuffed animals that sit on top of the camera. A lot of times mm-hmm. it's pulling the kids aside and, you know, saying, go whisper a secret in your dad's ear and like getting them to giggle and feel part of it. But I think right. the other part is to just let them be natural to some degree and capture them authentically. A lot of our customers say, hey, I'd I'd really like one great Christmas card photo with everyone looking at the camera. And so they try to do that at the beginning and really get that out of the way so then they can um, be a little bit more natural for the rest of the shoot. 
Interesting. Well, I'm I'm guessing that there are probably some good anecdotes you've had of customers over the years. This is probably something that people have done to propose or to mark other special occasions in their lives. Give us some of the stories behind these photos. Absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite stories will forever be Melanie's. Um, Melanie was uh, or is a a 57-year-old widow, and she'd been widowed for five years, and she was tired of waiting for someone to be ready and free to go travel with her. So she decided to go alone. And so she went to Amsterdam, and she had the best holiday of her life, and she couldn't stop smiling, looking at the windmills and the tulips. And, um, you know, she was captured by a photographer, and she wrote to us after, and she said, you know, um, when I'm an old woman in a nursing home, I will look back at these photos, and I'll remember my bliss. And so that that story always really spoke to me because I think that there's a lot of people that are hesitant to travel alone and it can be just such a transformative experience if you're able to get out there. Wow. And I guess in a way she got a companion for an hour. Although I'm I, I think that the the big secret about solo travel is you're never alone. You're always meeting great people. In fact, you're more likely to meet locals when you are alone than when you're in a couple, which is, mm -hmm. I think, one of the greatest blessings of travel. Mm -hmm. Have you had surprise engagements this way? We, uh, about 15% of our bookings are surprise engagement, believe it or not. So we, huh. it, there's a lot of logistics because you're trying to plan it um, secretly in a city you've never been in before. And so we have a whole process built out where there's different ruses or scenarios that we um, work with whoever's proposing to capture that moment. It's almost a military operation <laughs> by the end of it. Um, whether there's, you know, it's the it's the friendly stranger scenario or it's the fly on the wall scenario where they're kind of hidden in the crowd. And then sometimes it's a more, uh, what would I say, over the top experience. So we had one customer who wanted, it's a big Harry Potter fan and wanted to propose um, on top of a mountain in Banff, Canada, in the Rocky Mountains. And so he actually rented a helicopter. Um, they wow. flew to the top of the mountain with the photographer. And he had a ring box created like the, um, is it the snitch? Is that the, the thing in the, anyways. I, oh, goodness. Uh, crux, maybe? I, I don't know. I've I read all of them aloud to my children, and I've since blocked the whole experience. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyways, it was that thing that flies around when they play Quidditch. And he put the ring in, he had created one like that and put the ring in there. So the photographer was at the top of this beautiful mountain capturing this moment. So that's on the like more extreme end. Did wait, but that couldn't have been a surprise. I mean, if they're all in the helicopter together, the they were just doing a, a tr like kind of like a travel shoot that he did not oh. uh, not tell her it was a proposal, so she was surprised. And we have some beautiful photos and a blog on that story. So yeah, it was really sweet. But that's sort of more the typical one is just you know plan planning and um, within a specific city, and you know we get to see these uh, you know great moments. And what's also special is and they can send that back to their parents and their grandparents. Yeah. They feel part of the story as well. Yeah. Yeah. How great. Now, do most people plan their uh, their photo shoots for what's called the golden hour, which is usually either very early in the day or late in the day when the light is supposed to be the best? Uh, or, or do they do other things? We really encourage that. I mean, there's some cities that it's not as important, but in like sunny destinations, for example, will only, photographer will only shoot in golden hour, like if we're in Hawaii, for example, huh. because it's just not, it's just not the same output of the photo. It's just the light makes such a big difference. The thing that I always tell my friends when they're like, what, where should I go? Who should I book with? I say, book a shoot first thing in the morning. I know it might be painful. I know your teenagers might kill you. 
Um, but, and I have two teenage sons, so I am very familiar with how that will, you know, how that goes. But what happens is you get to see this completely different side of the city. So if you're waking up in Prague and the streets are quiet, you get to hear what the, sa- the sounds of the city are different, the smells, the sights. And so mm. not only do you get to see a different side of, this, of the destination, there's no other people in your photos and the light is gorgeous. So that's what, um, that's, that's my tip. Now, what if you've been planning this for four months, you booked it four months ago, and then the day you're supposed to take the photos, torrential rainstorms all day long, what happens? Yeah. I mean, if that happens, what we'll do, we have a concierge team that will help or the local photographer will help and we will either rebook with that same photographer if there's availability with everyone's schedules or try to find another photographer. I mean, that's one of the great things about working with with, with our team is that you know, we have lots of other photographers we can try to get you in with so that you can capture it when the weather decides to behave itself again. Right. In worst case, we'll just issue a refund if it's impossible to reschedule or the customer has to fly home. Right. Well, very, very interesting. I, I you know, I think you might have won me over. I, oh, I'm wow. going to be less <laughs> cynical about this because I, I don't know. There's uh, something about selfie culture. Yeah. Um, turns me off, but I can understand the mom who never gets to be in the photos or the solo traveler or yeah. or the surprise engagement. Those all seem like very valid and, and wonderful uh, ways to use your service. Absolutely. Well, well, um, and, and can I just say too, you know, the other consideration is we've had customers book shoots for their parents because they say, my mom was never in the photos growing up. She's a ghost in the vacation photos. I want photo. I want to see my mom. I want to look back at my mom. And so um, that's another, I think, such a great reason to get in the photos um, and get on the walls, you know, put those photos on the walls. Ah, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much, Nicole, for appearing on the Firmer Travel Show. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Pauline. And thank you all for listening. That's it for this week. If you are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'm going to be traveling next week, so I'm going to be off for a week, but please join us again the week after. Thanks so much. Watching cable.